wonderful in the way it's written, and it'll be great just to read this together. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he, longed, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room them in the inn. And the shepherds, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This morning we're in the second part of our series on my Christmas to-do list. And last week we looked at preparations and what should be on our to-do list for preparations. And today we're looking at celebration and how we can celebrate this incredible time of year where we remember Christ's birth. Today is another important day and tonight we're officially saying farewell to Phil and Michelle Weeks and uh, they've been with us now for four years and tonight uh, we're going to say farewell but we thought this morning we would ask them to come up and we would Pray for them so that you would get a chance to say farewell if you're not going to be here tonight. So why don't we ask Phil and Michelle and their family, Ben and Amelia, to come up and why don't we welcome them up to the stage. Do I, do I just take that just in case?
Hello, Amelia and Ben. <laughs> well, it seems to have come so quick. We talked about it uh, a little while ago. We announced it to the church, and here it is, your last day, Bill and Michelle, and we just want to say um, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done here amongst us. Four years, it's been uh, a significant time of your lives, and uh, I'm just reminded of what uh, was said of Paul's ministry in 1 Thessalonians. He said, um, we have loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And we feel you have shared with us the gospel, but you've also shared your lives with us. We didn't have these two kids when you came. And you've you know, brought two children into the world while you've been here. Your lives have changed and you have given of your own lives as you've shared the gospel with us. And we're forever grateful for what you've done. So we just want to say thank you. Don't we, church? Let's just thank them. Did you want to say anything at all, you guys? Or we... Great. Um, just uh, thank you very much. Um, we've had uh, a big four years. It's been really challenging at times, but then also full of great joy. And uh, we go uh, richer, so much richer for how we've grown as a family, numerically and spiritually. And, uh, we go, we go sadder too because we've, uh, we're going to leave so many great friends behind. So especially to all those people who have really supported us, um, which has been everyone, but specifically you know, people who have served and just been really encouraging. Um, Verbalise that to myself or Michelle. We just want to thank you very, very much and um, really pray God's blessing on you guys as a church. Great. Well, let's pray together, shall we? Why don't we all stand where we are? Let's do that together. God, we thank you so much for Phil and Michelle. Thank you for Ben and for Amelia. Lord, thank you for the way that uh, these last four years they have given of themselves to our community. They have loved us. They have shared uh, the gospel in the way that they've lived their lives. And we thank you for Phil's preaching of it to us. Lord, thank you for the way that he's shaped the youth and, and really done a great job in inputting to our young adults as well. And Lord, we pray for them. We ask a blessing on their lives. And we ask that you would continue to lead and guide them in Alexandra and that they would know your guiding and your hand upon them in everything that they do. Bless their family. May they continue right through their lives to be a symbol of love and grace um, and show what you can do in people's lives as they live. Lord, we thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, and tonight, just to let you know, after the service, uh, tonight's service, Phil's preaching, his last service, and then afterwards we're going to have supper together um, and be able to share some more thoughts where um, we'll be able to pray together for Phil and Michelle again. Also, you might just notice finally that in the news sheet, um, we just wanted to announce to you that we're very excited that we have some new youth leaders. Now, they're not... Um, Phil, uh, it's, it's going to be a different, a, a different role in that Phil did youth and young adults, but
but this is now for the youth on Friday night. We're pleased to announce that Gavin and Ruth Smith have agreed to lead our youth next year. And we're just so thrilled about that. Gavin and Ruth have led youth um, for three years in the past in New Zealand. And we're just looking forward to them um, leading the team that's already existing there on Friday nights and to input and to mentor those leaders and to lead them. So we're very thankful for that. So God is great um, and we're thanking him greatly. So now the final thing before we go back is there's a blue card right in your news sheet and we just love you throughout the service to fill that in and uh, to be ready to hand that in at the end of the service. Let's continue to praise God together. Uh, what's on your Christmas to-do list when it comes to celebrating Christmas? Uh, I know for us, uh, as a family, we have a number of things that we just love doing and now the Christmas musical is always the first part in our Christmas celebrations. We love coming to the musical. It was just fantastic this uh, year, wasn't it? Let's, uh, it was just great. We had a great, great time. Another thing we love to do to celebrate Christmas, we used to love to do it, was when we lived in Melbourne, was go to the Carols by Candlelight. Anyone ever been to the Carols by Candlelight in the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl? Yeah. What's it called now? The Melbourne, in Melbourne anyway, yeah. Oh, you've been to the Domain, other people maybe, yeah. Anyway, we, we used to go there, but you know what we found out? That we couldn't get tickets for the main one, but they had a practice the night before and it was free. And so we just went, because we're cheap and Dutch, we, we decided <laughs> we would go the night before and we would spend the whole time for nothing having picnic on the... Sydney Meyer Music Bowl and, in, in, and watching that. So that was a great part of our Christmas uh, celebrations list. The other thing that we often do is have a great big meal uh, at both Mandy's parents and at my parents' place, Christmas lunch, Christmas evening, and we just that's part of our Christmas celebrations, eat lots and lots. We, we would always get up in our house when we were younger and we'd have a Christmas tree just like this, and we'd all gather around the Christmas tree in our pyjamas and Dad would put on a silly Santa hat and he'd open up the Bible and he'd read to us the Christmas story and then Dad, as Santa, would just give out all the presents to us. And I remember that being part of our Christmas uh, celebrations every year. It seems, though, that um, by and large, when it comes to Christmas celebrations in general, I think often we miss the true meaning of Christmas when it comes to thinking about what we put on our to-do list. Because Christmas, I think, can get a bit crazy when it comes to celebrating it. It can become more, I think, about giving more bigger and better gifts every year. It can become about spending more and more money, buying more and more food, and by getting, getting and being given bigger and better presents. I think you often can overhear conversations between people or like parents talking about what they're getting their kids because all the kids are getting them now, you know. And we need to get this present because that's just what kids are getting now. And, and often we sit and think about what we need to get to keep up with our neighbours or with our friends and with our friends' kids 
And it can seem that Christmas is celebrating the fact that we can outgive each other or shower each other with the most expensive gifts and presents. I think the Prime Minister wants us to spend more, don't you think? I mean, he's filling our bank accounts with thousands of dollars. I mean, if you have kids or if you're a pensioner, literally you are getting given money. And the thing is, go out and spend it. Um, I think retail wants us to spend more this Christmas. They're drastically reducing the costs of items. They're having pre-Christmas sales just so you and I will go in and spend up big this Christmas and that our celebrations would be about buying bigger and better presents. You know what, guys? They're counting on us to save the economy. We need to spend big, they're saying. So the question is, when it comes to thinking about on a Christmas to-do list, it, it is celebrating, can we just, is that all that we're going to be able to do this Christmas, just spend up big, save the economy and and buy bigger and better presents for each other? Or is there something else that we can do? Well, I don't think spending up big and giving massive gifts or trying to outdo our neighbours or our kids is what God had in mind. And I think when we go to the scriptures and we look at the passages that talk about the first Christmas, I think what we actually find there is anything but an expensive Christmas. I think what we find in the pages of Luke's Gospel in chapter 2 there are are the complete opposite to an expensive, spending up big Christmas. It's completely different to that. And I think that as we look through this passage this morning, these passages this morning, that I think there are going to be clues for us about how we can best celebrate Christmas this year. And I, I think there's only just one thing to put on our Christmas list this year. And I think what we're going to see is that all that you need to do to celebrate Christmas this year the way God wants you to do is just humbly, humbly give thanks for Jesus. Simple as that. Humbly give thanks for Jesus. Let's have a look at the clues in the passage to see if this is true. Who, who are the kind of people God came to at Christmas? Well, the passage begins in those days... Uh, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be given, uh, should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So as we look at that, we're already being told about someone and this is Caesar Augustus. And we're told from this passage that he was the ruler of the entire Roman world. And historians tell us that Caesar was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And he he was born a fighter. He was one who clawed his way into power, did everything he could to be in power. And he did this by defeating Antony and Cleopatra. And he had incredible genius as a person And by the sheer force of this genius and by the sheer force of his personality and who he was, he gave the empire, the Roman Empire, a solidness that was to endure for centuries. There was a a stability under his uh, leadership. He was the first Caesar that was called Augustus. 
And the word Augustus means holy or revered. And up until that time, Augustus was only used a, ter- a word used for gods, to refer to gods. And, and Caesar Augustus was the first, it was under his rule that you know, there were clear steps made towards making Caesar's gods. There were people that when Caesar Augustus died, they consoled themselves thinking that, well, he's died, but he's a god, so he can't have really died. You know, they, they really believed that Caesar Augustus w- was a god. And although there was peace in the Roman Empire, it was a peace that came about through you know, bludgeoning their enemies. Uh, They'd just beaten all of their enemies into submission. And now the peace was kind of a dark peace, a a kind of controlling peace, where if you said anything to anyone, you had to look over your shoulder to make sure that no one was listening because if you stepped out of line, you'll be in trouble. And it's into this environment that Caesar Augustus says, I, you know, I want to collect taxes from everywhere, even that little town out, out there uh, called Bethlehem. I want everybody to register, and I'm going to take a census. And you have to go, go to your hometown. You have to go back there. And so it was in this environment that Mary and Joseph were forced, were required to travel to Bethlehem. So who were the kind of people that were happening? Well, here's a proud, arrogant man who thinks he's God at the start of this chapter, forcing his rule on the people. And into into the passage comes in verse 4, these words. So Joseph and Mary went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I've been reading through the passage over and over again this week. And I think as I've read through the pages, I've come face to face with Mary and Joseph on that road. I've tried to imagine what it must have been like to walk that journey. And and I feel like um, I've come to kind of meet them in the pages of scripture. That long road, that long dusty road that they must have travelled, we can imagine what it must have been like to travel it. It was 128 kilometres in length from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It was a miserable journey. Uh, that it would have lasted for three days normally, but, but Mary was full-term pregnant, pregnant. And, and she would have had to perhaps travel so slowly and walk so slowly. Now, if she was fortunate enough to have uh, an animal lent to her, maybe a donkey, then it would have made it easier. But regardless, being full-term and travelling 80 miles over three days must have been gruelling, must have been painful, must have been just an incredible uh, thing to do for a, a young woman. It's incredible. Perhaps as she got there and made her way down, perhaps there was a fear or an anxiousness about what lay ahead, knowing that she'd left her hometown 
with all family and friends and relatives that would be there and people that might have helped her and just her and Joseph with no one else to care about them, no one else to think about them coming in to Bethlehem. I think seen through everyday logical eyes, Mary and Joseph were insignificant. They were nobodies from a nothing town. They were uh, peasants. They were poor. They were uneducated. They were of no account. And the reason they had to travel this distance was because they were forced to. They had to register. They had no choice. But the baby Mary carried was not a Caesar, a man who would become a god, but a far more incredible wonder. The true God who would become man. And God came to humble people, not proud people, who thought they were greater than they were, but uh, people who were lowly, poor, peasants, who were Mary and Joseph. You know, many people today are too proud to come to Jesus. Many people uh, think it's just an old stories. And uh, uh, think, why would they ever believe that a little baby could come into the world? That's just nonsense, they say. And many people are too proud to believe anything else but what can they rationally see or what they rationally can believe. Some people are too proud to ever humbly bow before God and believe that God wants to do something more in our lives. Many people are too proud and miss what God has done through sending his son, Jesus. First thing when it comes to thinking about Christmas celebrations, I want you to note that God came to humble people. What else happened in this passage? What, what was the place like where Jesus came? Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We can only imagine what it must have been like for Mary. Uh, to arrive after such a long journey and to find that there was no room in the inn. I mean, to find that there was no place where they could stay except out the back in a sort of barn, in a stable. And to be surrounded by uh, animals and to be realising that this was where you were going to give birth must have been very, very difficult. When they came, the rooms were all gone and there was no room for them. Many people were busy 
activity was at its peak. All the places were booked and taken up by people already there and their lives were happening so fast and so full and busy that they never realised that amongst them had come the Son of God and there was no room. I think the same is today true for many, many people. Uh, People that are not only proud, too proud, to humbly accept that God could come through Mary and, and Joseph, but also people that are too busy and too full to have any time to pause and consider what happens at Christmas time. So when it comes to celebrations, oh boy, let's fill up our lives with incredible busyness. Let's write Christmas cards. Let's have presents. Let's go off to all activities, activities. Let's go around and visit and fill up. And there's no room for Jesus. There's no room for slowing down and looking at the Son of God who came as a baby. Right there, Jesus came into the world and people right next door and people right next door on the other side were not aware of his presence and yet he came to that place. I think today activities, work, relationships, sport, recreation, all the hobbies that we pursue, the busyness of time, travel, everything that happens just gets busier and busier and we think, I just haven't got time anymore. I haven't got time to go to church. I haven't got time to read my Bible. I haven't got time to pray or to praise God or to thank him. And more and more, we have less and less room. This Christmas, I think recognising that God comes to humble people, worship him humbly, thank him humbly, And make room for God. Don't be too busy to miss him. The other thing that happened here at the place where Jesus was born is that he came to us in the humblest of ways. I mean, if you think about it, we have postcards and Christmas cards that have a beautiful, clean manger and stable in it. But I've got to tell you, I don't think there's any possible way that it was clean and beautiful, the manger. We've just got a rabbit recently at our house. Um, her name's Lottie, and she's got the most beautiful little ears, droopy ears. And I remember saying to the kids beforehand, you know, you gotta, if we're going to have a rabbit, you have to clean up after that rabbit, you know. And Alex, Georgia, Alex, 10, Georgia's 7, and um, we thought, you know, they're responsible, they can do this. But we, out of mercy, have had to step in. That, that rabbit... Just every two days, if we don't clean the whole thing out and scrub it down and do all that, the, the hutch starts to stink. It starts to smell. There's little poos and wheeze everywhere. There's problems with that. And that's just one rabbit. One rabbit. We're probably talking here, you know, all kinds of cattle that make much more mess than rabbits in this vicinity. And I don't think there's any possible way that it could have been freshly, beautiful hay in that place. And and I think it's just incredible that in the middle of the night, in this cold, 
night. Mary, just a, just a young, young lady, pushes and screams in, in pain. And into the world comes the Son of God in a dirty, smelly manger. The one who flung stars into space. The one in whom and all things hold together. The one who one day every single one of us will need to give an account for our lives was born. It just makes me think of what goes on in our life. I mean, sometimes our lives are just so broken and ruined, aren't they? I mean, we want to get everything organised and cleaned up. We, want to, we promise that we won't hurt any people anymore. We try and be nice, but we find ourselves hurting the very ones we love. We find ourselves um, you know, finding that we do become far more greedy than we ever hoped that we would. We find ourselves thinking that we could cope with life more and more, but sickness or illness or depression or suffering catches us. And we find that life is not what it was meant to be. And we feel sometimes just like the stable, all dirty or smelly or broken. And we think no one would ever come to our lives. No one, God would be ashamed to even look at me after all the things I've done after all the ways I've turned my back on him, after all the things I've put God through. And yet, God sent his son into a dirty, stinky stable so that you and I, who have messed up our lives, who have sinned, who have turned our back on God, could be forgiven and set free through trusting in Jesus. I think that's staggering, isn't it? The biggest thing is Jesus said, I've not come for the healthy. You know, the healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick that needs a doctor. And they're the ones that I've come to. And so today, as we think about how we can celebrate, it's not through saying, aren't I fantastic that I believe in Jesus if you trust in him. No, no. It's saying wonder of wonders that my life, though it was ruined and wrecked and dirty and filthy, I've been made clean and whole through trust and faith in Jesus Christ. He saved me. And now I'm new and clean and forgiven. And for you today who have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, the truth of the fact that God came to a stinky stable means that there's hope for you. If your life is full of disappointment, if your life is full of sin, if your life is full of moral failures and lying and cheating and all things that you've tried to do, tried to do life properly, but you feel like you just keep failing, there's hope for you because God doesn't come to brilliant, beautiful, sinless people. He comes to those whose lives recognise the need for him. Who are the kind of people God came to? The humble. Those that were lowly, Mary and Joseph. What was the environment he came? He came to Bethlehem, to a stable that was just so dirty. 
into that came the Son of God. And who were the first to spread the news about this incredible occurrence? Verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. Shepherds were not known for their smartness or their wisdom. They stayed out in the fields and they kept an eye on their sheep. They were not powerful people. In fact, most of the people were known to be the lowest rung in society, criminal people. Often they were really people that you would not want your daughter to marry. They were not wealthy. Uh, The shepherd's salary did not pay well. And yet, verse 8 says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And they heard that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, and they ran, and they went to see this baby. And you know what it it says in verse 17? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. The first people to spread the news about Jesus were lowly shepherds on the world's radar, insignificant. And yet they carried on their lips and in the joy on their faces as they left praising and giving thanks to God, the greatest news for the world. They, they took this news. I just think today, this Christmas, the best way to celebrate is not with expensive gifts and presents, which we really can't afford, but rather with humble thanks to God for sending Jesus. And you know what I think the most surprising thing is, is that when you come and when you give thanks to Jesus for what he's, he has done in coming to earth, you'll find that your heart is full, is full with the very things that the world longs for, but rarely finds. And your life will be a mission of taking this good news, just like the shepherds did, humbly to other people and sharing the gospel so that people that you meet, lives that you meet, might be touched by the truth that God comes to not the important, not to the rich, not to the wealthy, not to those that are so proud that they don't see their need, but he comes to those that are humble, recognise their need, recognise their need for him. This Christmas, let's celebrate with humble thanks for Jesus. So the question now is, do you need God? Do you need God in your life? I mean, uh, have you organised and structured your life in such a way that there's no room for him? Or do you recognise the need and therefore every day spend your life dependent on him? The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that's ever lived, whether they're willing to admit it or not, has a great need for God. Because it's only through relationship with God that we can receive forgiveness and be made right with him. See, the Bible says that sin separates us from God and he's the one that's made us. And when sin enters in, then our relationship with him is broken and then we find all the things that go wrong in our life just multiply. We try and get back to God by earning our way back and, and, and trying to please him, but it never can bridge the gap because sin separates us from God and we need to receive forgiveness to be made right. You know what the Bible says, though? In Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin, the punishment, the things that we deserve for going our own way, for living a life that's trying to do it in our own strength, is death. So first of all, all have sinned. Secondly, what we deserve because we've sinned is death. And the truth is that though you might think that you'll be okay before God. The Bible says that those who sin deserve death and, and without looking to God for his salvation and strength, you'll die in your sin, separated from God for all eternity. And you'll receive the penalty for the sin. But the good news is the second part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. How can that be? How can that mean that I'm sinful, I'm separated from God, I can't bridge the gap, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus? Well, the great news, as the... Carol says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. The world that is sinful and broken rejoiced because Jesus came in. And Jesus, the Son of God, lived his life without sin. He said, I am God. And he died on the cross and was put to death. And in his death, he was taking upon himself every sin, every thought, every action that we've done against God. He was taking the punishment and the penalty so that the wages of sin for those who trust in Jesus have been paid in full by God. 1 Peter 3.18, the Bible says, For Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous Jesus, the righteous, the sinless one, for the unrighteous, me, you, every single person who has ever lived. And he died to bring you to God. The only thing that needs to happen is for people to realise their need for God. And to accept the gift of Jesus. The babe in the manger who was crucified and put to death for our sin. 
And most people won't do that, frankly. Oh, it just sounds too horrible. I mean, how do, I can't be so bad that someone has to die in my place. So I, yeah, sure, I've done a few things wrong, but God's just going to look at me when I die and say, oh, it's all right, I don't really care too much about sin. He's not. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die. And God is offering him to all who would humbly come and celebrate Christmas humbly realising their desperate need for God and accepting the gift of his son and his death on the cross because the death wasn't the end. Jesus died, but he rose again three days later. Victory over sin and he conquered the grave and death and those who put their trust in Jesus are not only forgiven but receive eternal life that never ends. So have you accepted Jesus, God's gift, humbly. This Christmas, there's no better way to celebrate than doing that. And maybe this Christmas, every time you're given a gift, every time someone gives you a gift, instead of thinking, oh, I already have one, or, oh, I wish I got the red one, not the blue one, or you got me the cheaper version, you could have spent a bit more, Instead of thinking about that, every time you receive a gift this Christmas, in your heart, thank God that he's given you a gift that if you accept and have accepted in your life, it leads to eternal life. Forgiveness and eternal life, which is the best gift ever. It's a gift that you don't deserve. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of love. Now, one final challenge for you this morning. Is that there's a real problem in our world today. God sent his son to come into this world to save sinners. Yet day after day after day, so many people live their lives the best way they know how. They try as hard as they can to live a good life and yet they pass away without ever hearing about the child that was born in the manger and ever hearing that they're Lives apart from God are sinful and will face judgment. And so day after day after day, people in our community, people in Wodonga, Aubrey, never get the chance to hear that there's more to Christmas than Santa and presents and food. And I, I think that while we celebrate this Christmas, there should be within our heart, I think, a deep grief that more and more people don't know Jesus and a deep determination in your life that in this Christmas and in 2009 and in every day that you have for the rest of your life that you would be praying to God to help you take the message of a saviour born in a manger, died on a cross, risen victorious to every single person that you can 
And I don't think you need to give it arrogantly and take this message boldly and say, you need to hear about Jesus. No. Like the shepherds, full of joy because of what Jesus had done in their lives, because they'd seen the Saviour, because they'd understood from the angels, going and telling and sharing with others. I think it's more than telling. It's, it's living a life that is so in relationship with this Jesus, risen from the dead, that every day we're depending on him for our strength. And I, I just think that this Christmas, if you realise that there's a problem in our world, that there are so many people that don't know Jesus, and, and we who do can take that message. I think there would be many people who currently now have broken relationships, who are in the midst of conflict, in the midst of pain and suffering, that would come to know that there is a God who can help them love others in the way that he loved them. There'll be parents and children that are fighting against each other, who argue constantly, who who are unable to keep giving because they don't feel loved, would be able to receive God's love through Jesus Christ and love their kids or love their parents. As a result, there will be people all over Wodonga and Albury who are facing addictions or depression or facing suffering who would find strength and comfort in knowing that there's a God who loves them and cares for them so much that he wants to be with them in all that they're facing and give them strength. I think this, this, this day, to celebrate Christmas this year, remember the kind of people God comes to and he came to. Remember the kind of environment that he came. Wasn't perfect, messed up, smelly. And remember that those that receive the good news of Jesus Christ have a message to tell that is urgent and desperate and needed from this world. And we can play a huge part in sharing that together. This week, I... uh, on Tuesday, I got a um, text message from the acting Prime Minister's party. And uh, the te- don't believe me? It's true. Oh, it's true. I can see some of you don't believe me. This is terrible. <laughs> but the acting Prime Minister's uh, security outfit sort of texted me and said, if you're feeling a little funny in your tummy uh, th- this morning... It's because your brother is in Albury Airport with the acting Prime Minister. So my brother is in VIP protection. And he, uh, he said, well, I'm in, I'm, we're, in, we're going up to Koryong. And I said, text him back and I said, hey, Andrew, um, I read it in the paper this morning. I, I, I saw that you were going to be, that, you know, the acting Prime Minister was going to be in uh, Koryong. And uh, so he... he Said, wrote back to me, he said, oh, this is Julia Gillard. He said, Julia Gillard said, that's great. She's surprised that it was in the border mail, but that's fantastic. So I went to the staff meeting on Tuesday and I told them I have been in conversation <laughs> with the acting prime minister that morning. And uh, someone as humble and lowly as me had been talking to this incredible uh, person. And you know what? They, they just looked at me. And they had no clue that Julia Gillard was even in the area. They didn't even know she was there. And I just thought, uh, those poor people. 
Now, the point of all this is <laughs> there are so many people that don't ever come even to grips with the one in the manger, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And they don't even know that this King of King and Lord of Lords who came as a baby is available today and wants to transform their lives. This Christmas, tell others, let them know. If you've never received Jesus, receive him with open arms and come humbly to him as your Lord and Saviour. If you'd like to do that, there'll be people down the front to pray with you this morning. There'll be people that would love to join you in prayer to help you humbly receive him. And, and if there's any needs to pray, we want to pray with you this morning because God wants to transform your lives. But this Christmas, celebrate humbly, giving thanks to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we have great news. Great news uh, that you have come. And God, many of us uh, realise that if you came to humble people, if you came to ordinary people, if you came to ordinary places, then you can surely come to us this morning. You can transform our lives. You love us enough to die for us. You love us enough to give us new life. And this morning, God, we pray that those here today that don't know you will put their trust in you and that those that do would walk out of here today so humble and thankful for what you've done and taking that message to everyone who you give them the opportunity to share it with. And we thank you, God, for Christmas, a reason to celebrate with heart and soul because of what you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you just now in these final moments just take the blue card, it would be great just to fill that in and to respond. It might be that there's prayers that you have. Uh, it would be great <clears throat> if you're going away and you're going to be away for like <clears throat> three weeks or four weeks. We really care about that. It would be great just to write that in to let us know as well so we know where you are. Also, um, if there's any prayer requests at all, just please put them on as well. Let's just take a moment to do that. Well, just remember, every time you're given a gift this Christmas, thank God for the incredible gift that he's given you of his son, undeserved and yet a gift of grace. And now as we come to give, why don't you give this morning thanking God for the gift of his son, for the difference he's made in your life, and give with joy and humility, saying thank you, God, for what you've given me. Let's pray together. God, we give, we give to you, our great God, and we thank you for all that you've done. And we thank you for all that you're going to do as we live our lives with you. Take these offerings. Uh, use them for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give together to our God who's so generous that he's given to us his whole life. Thank you.